Good morning. Um, Mark is spot on when he says I have a heart for missions. Um, I have a heart to see the church engage and walk into the giftings and the callings that God has put on each one of us and that no one would be or have this feeling of being left behind or feeling like I don't have enough to give or I don't, I'm not empowered to give or I don't have the right training to give or to do or to serve because the truth is, is that we, that we all do. And then there's this, been this phrase in my mind, and Mark says I'm a guy of these standalone phrases or something like that, I forget what he puts, but something that I really feel like Lord has put on my heart recently is this phrase of, and I think this is important for us to really capture and understand as we go into the, the topic today and just our everyday life. Um, the phrase that I keep hearing over and over the Lord saying is, Satan is jealous of us, but the Lord is jealous for us. Satan is jealous of us because we are created in the likeness and image of God. Because he wanted that place of honor, he wanted that place of glory. And when he boasted of himself and before the Lord, he was rejected by our Father or by God. And we were created in his image. And Jesus came to earth because he loved us. He lived his life. He died on the cross. He resurrected. And he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf because he's jealous for us. He desires us. He wants us. He wants us to engage with him. And it's obvious if we read a scripture like the one that most people have memorized, John 3, 16 and 17, it says, For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And at some point in our lives, somebody shared the gospel with us. At some point in our life, we were exposed by the truth of God's love. And that's why we're here. That's why we're sitting here, we, we gather together, we worship, we fellowship together, we have tribe, we have our small groups, we have other ministries, because somebody lived their life on mission. Someone spoke up. And so if God's heart is that everyone that believes in him would, save, would be saved, then someone needs to speak it, someone needs to tell it. And my heart this morning is to, it is to speak on missions, but it's to help us to wrap our minds around this idea that in the missions world we call thinking locally, both globally and locally. Like how are we on mission 
globally? How are we having an impact? How are we engaging the world in its furthest corners? But how are we engaging our world today here in Pagosa? Um, and I joined the missions committee here at church, I think it was in November, um, because I sent a little email to Mark and the eldership team and said, hey, I have these ideas to how we can engage in the missions or how we can take care of our missionaries and just this list of things. And he sent back, well, you probably should talk to Becky, who's over the, oversees the missions committee. And so I wrote Becky and she said, well, why don't you come present your ideas and then just stay on the missions committee? So I got voluntold, and I'm glad I did. Um, and so as we've been talking about missions and how do we engage in missions in the church, there's some things that have come up, and that's kind of, like, I want to share some of those things, but I want to also, like, what makes me excited to sit on this missions committee is that the people that I see that are on this missions committee live their life on mission. Sandra and her husband, um, I might get this wrong, but from my understanding, they are a part of or have some sort of like foundation that helps support works and ministries, but they're also engaged in missions, and they also do marriage counseling. They live their life on missions. We have uh, Larry and Eve, Dr. Larry, who just retired, I think, in December of last year. He's an orthopedic surgeon. And he spent a lot of his years um, traveling to these small communities in Arizona to volunteer as a doctor, to use the gift as a doctor um, to help these communities. But now that he's retired, they're traveling around a lot, serving other ministries, helping them you know, prepare their, their locations for the ministries that they do and stuff. Um, then we have the Mark Hauger. And if you have Mark, you get Lisa. Um, those two are legends of their own. The work that they did in Kenya, the work that they continue to do here in Pagosa, loving the the foreigner amongst us. Um, and then we have a true hero too, Becky Thompson. Her heart. I have her on here written, she's an administrative guru. <laughs> if she's on a committee, somebody's giving her like, hey, you're going to help us with administration. But there's a people group here in this town that she's given her life to. The young adults with different abilities than us, she's given her life to reach them through the works of Aspen House and Aspen services. She's an example. She is a hero of, in faith sitting amongst us. We all know Mark. You know, Mark's the school counselor, and there's many great things about him, too. But I'm just so honored to sit with these guys on the missions committee. And I applaud your work, Becky. The life that you've given the heart that you have to reach a, a people group, very specific. And I'm excited for what God's going to do through that program this, 
year and the coming years and I feel just breakthroughs coming. Thank you for your faithfulness to that that group. I love whenever you speak of them, you talk of them as your kids, like our kids. Because that's the heart that you have for them. That's the love that you have for them. And that's being on mission. That's living on mission. And of course, there's the 14 trips to, to Mexico and I don't know how many to Spain and other places that you've done. And, and you live on mission, but that's what I aspire to live my life towards. Is how do I live my life in the daily to have an impact on the world that I live in? Whether it's here in Pagosa, whether it's across the borders, whether it's across, across the ocean, do I live my life to love others and to share the gospel with them? And so our heart as a missions committee is, how do we engage? How do we get every person that comes in this room, how do we engage the world around us? How do we engage with the missionaries that we support? How do we engage with the local ministries that are here? I think of Catherine and the food pantry. It's so exciting when you see these hungry orphans, like you see pictures of them on Facebook from missionaries or something, and we get so excited and so emotional because we're feeding the hungry, you know, in a small village in Mexico or somewhere around the world. But what about the families that we feed here in Pagosa? What about the families that are in need? And we've got just a small handful of people that are willing to do it because it doesn't look as cool on Facebook to be like, hey, I'm feeding some Americans. But that's how God wants us to engage, and he's gifted us with that. He's gifted us with a ministry and abundance in there so that we can help feed Archuleta County. I hope that as, we, as I talk through what I feel like is on my heart, that we do feel a little uncomfortable. I know my prayer for myself is, God, I hope I walk out of here a little bit offended with myself. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, not through the work of condemnation, but just conviction that the Lord says, Why, where, where can you give or how can you live your life differently? How can you engage and impact differently? And as we talked about Talking about missions up here, I said, Lisa's got to be the one. And she pointed back at me. And I kind of predicted that would happen. I told Becky, we can ask Lisa, but I think she's going to tell me. Um, But I just want to know, I love working with you guys and love seeing what God's doing through this church. And I know I've named a few. And I know there's a lot going on in this church. Both here in town and throughout the nations. But God's stirring something. And I think Justin, through his last series of the hope in the, of, in the kingdom, or the coming kingdom, however the title was, like when I listen to some of his sermons, I'm like, I don't need to teach about missions because he's telling us this is what it looks like. This is how we understand 
and get a balanced perspective, because I feel like he really was teaching well on this balanced perspective of how to live our lives in faith and understanding of God's sovereignty and our call to action. Because we have to understand that, like, he is all-knowing. He is sovereign. Though the world looks like out of control and we don't understand everything that's going on, and we do have to faith, like faithfully pray and engage. He also wants us to be called to action. And recently, in, in last year, they were teaching about the different giftings. And I think as part of my heart, and what we talked about a little bit as well, is like when we look and understand our giftings, we do the, the gifttest.org or whatever it was, and we go through and it says, oh, you're administrative, you're an evangelist, you're a, a your apostle, your whatever your gifting is, the reason that they're calling us and teaching us about these things and calling them out in us is not so that we can think about like like how great somebody else is. It's not to think of like, oh, maybe I could use this someday. It's a calling to us and a calling us out saying, this is these are the giftings that are in our body and we need to engage. We need to give out of these giftings. We need to learn. We need to, to serve. We need to bless others. So let's look at what mission is. Like if you, look, if you wanted to define mission or missions, mission signifies purposeful movement, being sent from one place to another for a purpose. It's an organized effort for the propagation of the Christian faith. It's to proclaim the goodness of the kingdom, to teach, baptize, and nurture new believers, to respond to human need through loving service, and to seek to transform the unjust structures of society. There's a lot to do with missions. Missions is big. So, Three years ago in April, we moved back from Mexico City to Pagosa. And this is something that I really battled with over the last couple of years. Because I had heard you're a missionary or, you know, I lived on missions and I, and I knew how to do it back there. I knew how to do it in Mexico. I knew how to do it if we traveled overseas further. And I think one of the things that we have done to ourselves and to missionaries, as we call them, is we, we actually isolate people by giving them the title and not engaging in, in, as missionaries ourselves and wherever we're located. And so often I, in the first couple years back, I felt misunderstood by the church but here recently, I've come to realize that I also misunderstood the church. Because I didn't grow up in a church. I didn't grow up understanding denominations and all this stuff. And I want to share a little bit about that. Because there is, next month it'll be 19 years. Um, but there was a man that was on mission one night. 
I was 21 years old. I was a general manager of the old Super 8 here. And I thought I would, there was this old man that came in. He was obviously homeless. Um, didn't smell very well. And I thought I was giving him the world that night because I offered him a room and a meal. And I said, come out and, and join me for a meal in the lobby in an hour. And my hope, honestly, my hope was he would shower, but he didn't. <laughs> and he stunk like high heaven. <laughs> and as I'm there sharing the meal and I'm feeling good about myself, he shared the gospel with me. And by all means, by all things of success, I was on the path to success, right? I was, I was a general manager at 21 of a hotel. I thought I had more to give than he did. But that night, he was a man on the mission. That night, he was a man that knew what his calling was, and that was to share the gospel with others. And I think, like, His face would come to my mind every once in a while when I was serving overseas. Or I would see other people come to know the Jesus. I think we don't realize the impact that we have on, on many people by sharing with one. Because that homeless man has no idea the impact that he had on me, but countless other people that I got to serve across the nations for 15 years. That's how important it is that we live our life on mission. That's how important it is that we live our lives in a way that represents the gospel, that teaches and, and shares about the gospel. So what else is mission? In Isaiah 117, it says, Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, and fight for the rights of widows. In Psalm 146.9, it says, The Lord protects the foreigners amongst us. And that's a hard one because often... We look down on the foreigner amongst us. And it doesn't just happen in America. I felt that. I felt being the foreigner in a different land. And the struggles it was. And the judgments that were given. But I'm just glad that the Lord protects the foreigners. And I hope that we would have that heart to protect the foreigners amongst us. That we, as it continues, would care for the orphans and the widow. And I love this about the Lord. He frustrates the plans of the wicked. Psalm 68, 4 through 6 says, Sing praises to God in his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. He is the father of the fatherless. He's the defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling place is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets prisoners free and he gives them joy. 
These psalms are, are declaring who God is. But it also highlights, okay, if this is on God's heart, if this is who God is, am I partnering with him to defend the widow? To protect the foreigner amongst us? To serve the orphan, to care for the orphan? Am I partnering with God's heart for the people, for the lost? Here and now. Not waiting for the big opportunity. When we moved back, I very much felt like a foreigner amongst my very own people, my own culture, where I grew up. One, one night in the hotel when I worked there, um, this lady called, and she said, I only have, I don't know, $20 or something, but it's cold, I'm tired of sleeping on the streets, I just want a warm bed and a hot shower for the night. And I said, come on up. I'll give you a room for the night. 17 years later, we moved back to Pagosa, and I feel like a foreigner amongst us. We're struggling a little bit to get on our feet um, after leaving Mexico and having to reestablish here. And this person reaches out to me, and I don't remember it at the time, But she said, I have a little bit of extra money on my card, and I want to take you and your family to go grocery shopping. And I accepted, and when I met her in the city market parking lot, she said, I don't know if you remember me, but 17 years ago, I wasn't in this position. I was an addict. I was hurting. I was didn't have anything, and you opened the door for me. See, sometimes when we give out to others, we get to see it in return. That person was living on missions when we came back, and she was carrying in what I felt as a foreigner amongst us. See, it's not that complicated to be a missionary. It's not that complicated to live our life on missions. We just have to learn to love our neighbor. And who is my neighbor? As I was preparing this, this really jumped out at me. It was the greatest commandment, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. We all know that one, right? Then he goes on, this is Jesus saying, a second is equally important. What do we know if something is equally as important? It's the same. So if I give myself fully, wholeheartedly, my mind, my soul, my heart to love the Lord, am I equally doing that to love my neighbor? Because that's the second. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself.
I don't do that very well always. In Luke 10, 30 through 37, I'm going to read it and then we'll go back through it a little bit. It says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead because, beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. Then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. See, it's not real complicated. It was just the one that showed him mercy. But who walked by this Jewish man? The Jews? A priest? a temple servant, and a despised Samaritan. My hope is that I would never get so caught up on attending church or looking good because I do that I would walk past the man that's hurt or in need on the street. Do I? Sometimes I do. My hope is that I wouldn't. My hope is that I would have compassion, that I would be able to show mercy. But his own people walked past him, yet the despised Sumerian, a cultural foe, had compassion on him. He soothed his wounds, he placed him on his own donkey and took him to the inn. Have you ever seen that, a scene in a movie where like, something bad happens and people don't want to be like caught up with it because whatever's going on and they take the person to the emergency room and they throw them out and they speed off. The Samaritan man did not do that. He spent the night at the inn with him and he took care of him. And then after he spent the night looking after him, he gave to the innkeeper and said, here, continue taking care of him. And if it's not enough, I'll be back. So who is my neighbor? We need to go to the people and the places that we don't want to go. Those people are places that we may fear. Maybe even to the ones who we feel don't deserve it. I'm pretty good at thinking... I know who deserves Jesus and who doesn't. Unfortunately, I'm wrong all the time about it because Jesus 
Everyone deserves to know Jesus. His mercy and salvation is for everyone. One of the things that we did in Mexico City is we worked in um, red light districts. We worked with women that were enslaved by prostitution. Some of them forcefully held into it, whether it was physically they were trapped there or just they had been lied to and entrapped emotionally and mentally. Sometimes they would, the pimps would take their children or they would in, intentionally impregnate them. And then they would hold the children back from them and say, if you don't bring in this much every day, then you won't get to see your child tonight. And some people struggled with our work there because they're like, well, they want to do it. That's why they're there. I've never met a woman that wants to be raped 36 times a day. Because that's the reality of what it is. I've never met a woman that wants to be entrapped or had their children held in jeopardy if they didn't serve men in certain ways. So one of the things that really was culturally hard to deal with with teams that would come and visit us is we would go and we would talk with these women and we would share the gospel with them and they would accept Jesus and they're like, yeah, but they're out there tomorrow. They're out there next week. And I'm like, guys, that's not my place to judge. My job is to share the gospel with them and understand the position that they're in And sometimes because of that position and their fear of losing their children, they're not going to stop doing it. But I have to trust the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I have to trust the hope and the salvation of the gospel. That if they confessed with their mouths and believed in their hearts, they are saved. See, it doesn't always fit inside our minds or our boxes of how things should work or how things should look. And when it doesn't turn out well, when we can't take that selfie with the person that just came out of slavery or something, it kind of, it's hard because it doesn't check our emotional boxes. What happens when we encounter somebody that's dealing with homosexuality or, trans, or like transgender and you share the gospel with them? Do you share it with them and do you love them through it or do you share it with them conditionally? Here's Jesus, now change your ways. Yes, we are called to disciple and teach and help them to grow in the Lord, but we need to allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. But so often we get caught up in our ideas and our, our, our fragmented understandings that we let it hold us back from sharing the gospel with others to actually loving and serving others. Jesus wants us to engage the lost and the lonely.
He wants us to love them as they are. In Acts 9, this is Saul's conversion. And I guess I asked this question before we read this little part. It says, when are we ready or are we qualified to go witness? Saul has this encounter with Jesus. He gets blinded. He gets to see again. He is basically the enemy of the, of the believers, of, of Christianity, of Jesus, of the spread of the gospel. And it says that, I'll read this one little part. This is after Jesus tells Ananias to go and find, find Saul. And he says, he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. First of all, Ananias knows who Saul is. Wait, this, you're, Jesus, you want me to go talk to the guy that was persecuting us? You want me to go to the guy that encouraged the Jews to stone fellow believers? Like, you want me to go talk to him? Don't you know what he did? Don't you know who he is? And unfortunately, that's the mindset that I have sometimes. Because I can see, or I think I know, how bad that person is. But he goes and he lays hands on him. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sights. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And three years later he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Oh wait, it doesn't say that. It says immediately. Not three years. Not after a long time of training, not after seminary, not after, you know, you got to go through this process of forgiving and asking for forgiveness for all the stones that you threw at the other Christians and the people that you got killed. Immediately, he began sharing the gospel, and that is when you're ready. When you are encountered by Jesus, when you have that feeling of the Holy Spirit, that's when you're ready to start sharing about Jesus. And that's the church that God longs for. is a church that will love others. A church that won't be caught up in the details of like, am, am I dressed right? I remember the first time I went to church, I asked the guy that took me, I said, what do I need to dress like? Because I had this idea that I had to have like a suit and tie, that I had to have like certain shoes on, certain way to present myself. And... He was a bit of a country guy, and he said, you can wear your cowboy boots and your shorts and your flannel and just go in with purple hair if you want. Because Jesus isn't looking at that. I remember somebody came in today and said, oh, where's your suit and tie? And it brought back this memory. I, did, I dressed up one time in a suit and tie, and it wasn't for my wedding. 
It was because I wanted to please a pastor of a church when I was invited to preach. And I never did it again because I felt like a fraud. Because why am I going to dress up for the presence of man and to please them in a way that I don't present myself before the Lord? Because he doesn't look at it and he doesn't care about it. Jesus wants us on mission. Sometimes what holds us back besides how we look at others and how we think that we can decide if they're ready or not is how we look or how we think we're going to look in front of them. But in Romans it says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. So what is our identity as a Christian? As a Christian, we are as one who is sent as an ambassador and as a representative, representative of Jesus. So I ask you, how do you order your life? How do you pray? How do you read the news? How do you interact with your neighbors, your coworkers, your bosses, your neighbors? How do you spend your money? There was a study several years ago that took the average income of the American confessing Christian, like the one that confesses faith in Jesus, and if you put together all the money of that, of those, of the Christians, and if every one of them tithed, it would be the ninth richest nation on earth, just in the American church. Just off the tithe, not off of like the net. But off the tithe, if we all tithed, if we all gave, if we all lived to honor God with our money the way that he has it laid out to us, we would be the ninth richest nation in the world. Do you know if we all did that, if we all lived in a way that we honored God completely and wholeheartedly with our money, we wouldn't have to have missionaries come and be like, I really have this need because they'd already be funded. Sometimes that's one of the hardest things for missionaries is to stand up in front of the church and try to, and I'm, I'm just going to be real with you guys, sometimes as missionaries, when they get up in front or they send that newsletter, it's trying to sell themselves that whatever they're doing, whatever God's called them to, that they're worthy of your $20 a month. And I think the, one of the 
other biggest disengagements between missionaries and churches is the relationship turns strictly into transactional. I'll come share my story. I'll send my newsletter. Please send a support check. Tasha showed me these things she printed out for our children. I would say we all need one as an adult. It says, pray for your missionary. My missionary's name is? Draw your missionary. What country do they serve in? What's their flag? How can I pray for them? Sometimes I think we need this. As a church that supports missionaries and missions and works around the world, I feel like it's just as much as our job, and not just the missions committee, but our job, as you connect with missionaries that that come and visit and they share, that we're reaching out to them just as much as we expect them to reach out to us. That we're engaging and we're, we're actively pursuing relationship with them and not just sending a check so that we feel good or we have that nice tax write-off. Not saying that that's everyone's heart when they give, but it, it just comes, sometimes we just get so busy in life, it boils down to that. Because we have so much going on that it's hard. But I want to encourage us that if we support missionaries, whether we give financially or not, whether we're just committed to praying for them, however you engage with them, engage with them. Don't just wait for that newsletter. We make it a habit if we, go, if we support somebody, we try to visit wherever they're at and engage with them, have conversations with them, talk with them. What's, what are you sharing with us that's not in that newsletter? What's the hard stuff? Because it's important. They didn't give me a time that I need to finish or how long I had, so at this point, we're just keeping going. Okay, guys? No, I'll, I'll finish soon. But I just have a few more questions for us to ponder. To hopefully expand the way we think. But do we have to be sent to another country or across seas to, be, to love as missionaries or to live on mission? Do we need to go across the world to love our neighbor? Or can we just cross the street? Do we need to go somewhere else to walk in our giftings, to walk in our callings? Do we need to go somewhere else to share the gospel? Or can we do it here? We need to orientate our lives and our love around the Great Commission and live our lives intentionally calibrated by the gospel and the hope of the kingdom and pursue what Christ has called us to. There's more that can be said. In Colossians, it says, devote yourself, pray, live wisely. In Ephesians, it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. 
So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we would be good stewards of our time, of our relationships, of our conversations, and our giftings. I love the movement of prayer because it's needed. I remember a story of these, this ministry called King's Kids where they just like, really kids from like 7 to 12 have like this little missionary camp and they're teaching about intercession and, and they're praying and, and part of like the way they teach them is to just stop and listen and maybe you see an image or something and one little kid says, I see these birds. And another kid says, I see an airplane in the water. And so the leader starts praying for him and saying, you know, like, okay, let's pray into this. God, you know, however they pray. And three or four days later, it comes out on the news that in New York, a plane was taking off, ran into some birds, and the pilot had to land a plane in the river. I don't know if you guys remember that. But three days prior to that, the Lord put on the hearts of children to pray for that. Prayer is important. But I also pray that we would step out of our prayer closet and into the lives of those hurting around us, to those who need Jesus in their lives. That we would be faithful to do our part and be full of faith that God will do his part. Sometimes I just wish I had time just to tell stories to, to engage. I think about the one of Saul, and I want to tell this story before I finish up. We were in Indonesia, and we were working in what they would refer to as the slums, the very poor neighborhoods. And one day, we just, kind of like those kids and King's kids, we just stopped and said, God, where do you want us to minister today? And a few people from our team said, I feel like God's calling me to go to Starbucks and see if there's any foreigners there. You know, if there's foreigners there, we'll say, hey, you know, can we pray with you? Because maybe they speak English. And some people said, well, there's a slum across the street. Maybe we should just go play soccer with those kids. And so they did. You know, every, we, we didn't judge them, even if they just wanted to go to Starbucks. But me and a couple other kids said, like, one of the slums that we were working with, their job was to separate garbage. And we felt like we, we need to go separate garbage with them. We just need to go serve alongside them. And so we go there, and kind of the head guy for that community comes, and we're like, had no translator. We were not prepared. We were just like telling him, like, we want to help separate trash and, you know, probably look like monkeys trying to peel a banana, trying to communicate. And they took us to the preschool and like, English, English, kids, English, English. And they're trying to teach us, tell us to teach the kids English. And I'm like, if you guys want to do this, that's fine. But God told us to go serve. So, I'm, you know, there's this spinach field. And they grow spinach. I don't know how they grow it here. But there they had, like, these canals. And this lady was walking through this water just, like, 
dumping buckets of water on the spinach. And so I kept saying, me, you know, trying to do the, the little sign language or whatever. And finally, the lady's like, you know, just let him in. So I'm walking through this stuff, and it's like waist deep, and I'm falling down, and like, it's nasty, muddy, like black mud. And I look underneath the houses that are kind of on stilts, and I'm like, that drainage is coming into here, and they're watering their spinners with it, and I'm walking in it, falling in it. And then the lady, I don't know, she's probably in her 70s, sees how muddy I am, and she starts dipping water and just pouring it over my head and washing my, you know, scrubbing my bottom with it and getting the mud off. And then she finally, like, tells me to go with her, and she takes me to the, to the well, and she's, like, pumping water, and she's, like, pouring water on me. And then she sits me down next to her husband. And I'm by myself in the middle of this slum now. Like, I don't even know where the team is. I don't know how to get back to the school. Like, I'm just there talking at each other, I guess you would say, because we definitely didn't know what we were talking to each other. But we were having a good time. We were laughing. I'm dancing with this 90-year-old man. And he's, they're offering me water, and they're always like, don't drink water from you know, there, drink it out of the water bottle. And this is like, God, this is in your hands, you know. But there's this, like, heart connection with this man. And so we would go back every week while we were there and visit him and talk with him. And, you know, every time we'd go to their house, they would, like, dress up their great-grandkids in, like, their best outfits to show off for us and stuff. And as our time was closing on our time there in Indonesia, I felt, like, this urgency. Like, I need to share the gospel with this man. Like, I need, he needs to know about Jesus. And so I finally go back there with a translator, and we're sitting in his room, or in his little shack. Actually, when we got there that night, I went and knocked on his door, and his wife said, he's not here, he's taking a bath. And I looked over to my translator, and I said, yeah, because he's preparing himself to go before the king. And I was, like, half-hearted, jokingly said that. But we sit there, and we finally go in with him, and she starts translating, and his wife, like, I don't know, 10 minutes into it, says, he doesn't understand you. He's from a different village. He speaks a different dialect. I'm like, why didn't you tell us that? So she starts translating for us, and we get up to the salvation of Jesus, like Jesus dying on the cross, and she would not speak another word. Because there's no way that she is going to tell her husband about Jesus. Because in that culture, obviously, the man is, you know, the dominant one. He's the one that leads the family. And so this other guy comes in, and we start sharing the gospel again, and we get to the same part, and he won't go further because he's not going to share with his elder about Jesus. I don't know if you guys know about Indonesia, but it's, the largest, the highest populated Muslim country in the world. So we're like, it's really hard to share the gospel. And finally, like, it's like sun's starting to set. I'm feeling desperate. I have this sense of urgency, and I see, like, this shadow enter the door, and I'm like, who's that? Oh, he's from the same village, and he goes to my church. So I said, I'm not going to say another word. You guys know the gospel. Just share it with them. And so they shared the gospel with him. 
And he accepted Christ that night, and God did some, like, healing in his stomach. And we went back the next day, and he was like Saul. He had eight people in his house telling him about Jesus and wanting us to tell him more about Jesus. He had eight people from the village that he wanted to know the gospel of Jesus. And I don't know how many more people he shared with afterwards. But just as that homeless man shared with me, I got to share with him. And he got to share with others. He gave me... Uh, it's not like stereotypic. It's, it's really the hats that they wear, you know, like the kind of cone-shaped hats. He gave me the one that he used in the fields that his grandkids had like painted on. And I have it hanging in my house. And he gave me one of his family rings that I still hold on today. and It's always that constant reminder. You never know the impact you're going to have when you share the gospel. He was 91. Three months later after our trip, the lady that translated for us said he died. And part of me was saddened, but part of me rejoiced because I knew I was going to dance with him in heaven again. Guys, we can all have stories like this, and we don't have to go far. All we have to do is have the boldness to share Jesus, to live on mission, to serve others, to find that that group of people that you want to engage with. If you really want to feed the hungry, TFAP's tomorrow, be here at 8.30. Like, if you really want to be engaged with stuff that's going on in the city and reach a a people group that's not being reached, talk with Becky. If you want to care for the foreigner and protect the foreigner amongst you, talk with Lisa. If you want to go on a missions trip, talk with Mark. If you want to do your own missions trip, talk to the missions committee and the eldership. We'll get behind you. Find a missionary and engage with them. There's a whole list of, or a whole line of uh, papers back there that show the missionaries that we support. Pick one up and reach one out, reach out to them. They'll be blessed just because you care, just because you thought of them. If you choose to give money to them, I mean, they're, they're going to be happy, but trust me, missionaries are not out there for the money. Let's stand together. Matt, if you want to come up, yeah. I thought about calling people up here and saying, hey, would you pray for people that want to be prayed for? But sometimes we like to Escape in those moments. Oh, I don't need to be prayed for. So we run out the door because lunch is calling, right? We want to get there before who man's fills up. So as Matt plays, I just want us to turn to each other and pray for each other. Pray for each other to have whatever God puts on your heart to pray for each other, I guess. But just that we would have his heart to be on mission, to live our life on mission. That we would have his heart 
and his eyes to see the world around us and the needs that are amongst us. Lord, we thank you. I'm forever grateful for you, Jesus, for the life that you lived here on earth, for the suffering that you went through, the death that you died on that cross. I'm grateful for your resurrection. I'm grateful for your ascension and your sending of your Holy Spirit and that you intercede on our behalves. Lord, help us to have your heart. Help us to have your eyes to love and to see others in their needs. Help us to see that sometimes it's not the homeless, but maybe it's the wealthy amongst us that feel so lonely that just want to be engaged for something else besides what maybe they can offer or give. Stir within us a heart to move close and to share your gospel and to be on to have that confident day of our lives, Lord. Help us to have that confidence in you that we can share immediately. You are so worthy, God. Help us to have a hope and a heart that all would know. That everyone would have the opportunity that we've been gifted. That we would share boldly with others.